As we have reflected on repentance in recent weeks, I have had the lingering concern about application, namely the complexities that might occur, uh, as all of you uh, thinking more about being penitent before God and others. And th- now, there's not much complexity to repenting over our sin in and of itself as that act, but there is in how people are not always well attuned to when and how to repent. So significantly, people process the need to repent differently. Some people have tender consciences and lament deeply over their smallest sin. Others have stubborn consciences and often can't see that they are wrong even while committing serious sin. And then I think we often overlook confused consciences that tend to know their sin and and when they commit it, but seem to think that no one else can see it, which must mean that the best solution is to hide it, excuse it, and or blame others for it, rather than admit, own, and deal with it. Psalm 38, though, helps us think through that issue of varying consciences. So God inspired the Psalter to to be the songbook for, for God's people so that it might help us worship. But one of the purposes of the Psalter is to equip believers to know how to deal with the entire spectrum of experience and emotion that we encounter as part of the Christian life. And as most of you will know, there are many different types of psalms. And Psalm 38 is one of repentance. Psalm 38, therefore, should help us think about what it means to have open, repentant consciences and how to process that. So this the psalm models repentance in that David knew the reality of his sin, its consequences, and how it should shape his relationships. And as with most psalms, not all of them, but most of them, we don't know the precise background for when and why David wrote this. Perhaps, though, that's for the best. Because we can consider the details as a pattern to shape the godly response to this particular experience of the Christian life. In this case, realization of our sin. So the main point is that we must tune our consciences to search out and understand our sin so that we can repent well. We must tune our consciences to search out and understand our sin so that we can repent well. And we're going to think about this in three points. The reason, the response, and the restoration. So first, the reason. So I've already raised that issue that there are multiple types of consciences, or at least various people have more or less sensitive 
awareness of their sin. And I'm going to tell you one of my prayers for this series is that those with stubborn consciences would be disjointed, broken down, and made uncomfortable. Those with confused consciences would be straightened out, focused, and grow in honesty about the reality of their sin. And those with tender consciences would be rooted deeply in how Christ will not break the bruised reed, but forgives and restores you as you come to him to give up your sin. The point of considering Psalm 38 is that David modeled clarity in thinking about our own sin, its consequences, and what we should do. So verse verses 1 and 2 show us that this is a, a deep expression of repentance. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down upon me. So verse 1 shows us something profound. David knew that his sin deserved God's punishment. Since, as later verses show, God had already distributed corrective discipline. David's point was to pray that God would not inflict what is due to him. He admitted that he was in no position to reject God's discipline, but of course he wished not to receive it further. Now, God had already made his point from David's perspective as David saw that God's arrows had struck him and God's hand had smashed him. And so we see that David deeply knew his sin and in this instance knew, in this instance knew that his sin had caused his suffering. And that establishes a principle that repentance includes awareness that we have done wrong and that our wrongdoing deserves God's wrathful response. Many Christians dislike admitting that and want to shoulder this point away by saying that since we were all imperfect, not every sin warrants God actually smashing us. But David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that not even that others deserve God's wrath, but that God had dropped his disciplinary hand upon David himself so hard that it felt like arrows had pierced him. And David knew that these arrows had come indeed from God himself. This psalm contains, there's two sections basically, there's two laments here in verses 3 to 10, how David's sin had brought illness upon him, and verses 11 to 20, how his sin had created problems in his relationships, made enemies of his friends and family. And the point to grasp, though, is is how David had a realistic sense of the extent of his sin and the consequences it brought. 
the first section details the suffering he felt because of whatever illness had come upon him. And the point is not to work through each expression of illness or, or even try to untangle what sickness was besetting him, but to see that David understood that in this instance, he was sick because of his sin. Verse 3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. One commentator translated verse 5, My wounds stink and fear because of my stupidity. Which certainly points to David's raw disgust about himself and honesty about how personally depraved he was. Now the book of Job shows us that we cannot assume that every calamity is because of our sin. That is certainly true. Psalm 38, however, shows us that sometimes our sin does cause our calamity. For David, sickness and enemies. In verse 4, David knew he was entrenched in his sin and, and that God had brought him to a halt by afflicting him. For my iniquity has gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. The, the metaphor here is, is like water. David said he was immersed in, I mean, there's sin running over his head and they've overwhelmed him. Again, we don't know exactly what was wrong with David. We also cannot tell, in this case, what his sin was. But we do know it was serious and that he was not just guessing why he was ill, but knew, in this case, that it was because of him. So verses 11 to 20, then, describe how his sin had turned his friends and family against him and created a host of hostile enemies. He again saw that his trouble was because of his own sin. Verses 17 and 18. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. In this case, David clearly perceived how his sin had caused his troubles. The reason that we suffer sometimes is because of our sin. And that brings us to our second point, the response. So we've thought about how David saw his sin had resulted in his troubles. And this point focuses on how Psalm 38 models for us a response to our sin. I have not said, take note, I have not said that every time you get sick or have relational difficulties or have any sort of calamity, that that necessarily is because of your sin. I have not said that. I am saying 
with what I think this psalm teaches, that sometimes our sin has this sort of consequence. And when we see that our actions have caused our present troubles, we should not explain away why we are suffering instead. We should repent. David modeled that sort of response through this psalm. He didn't mince words about what caused his troubles. His response teaches us that in many situations we should cease to ask, God, why is this happening to me? And start saying, God, I'm sorry that I have angered you to afflict me. So, not to say that there is a magical link between crime and affliction. David's, I mean, pay close attention to this. I mean, David's sin, whatever he was doing, could have had a very natural link to illness and hostility. I mean, in the same way, if you lie about your taxes, it's going to cost you an immense amount of money in fines and penalties. If you steal from others, you will go to jail. If you mistreat people, it will destroy your relationships. And there are natural links between those things, and yet those calamities are because of your sin. So, when, when you see, yeah, when you see that there is a direct link between your sin and your misery, Psalm 38 instructs us that true repentance is honest about that. I think that we easily look for reasons, ways to explain away our misery without looking at our sin. We can easily act as though God has unexpectedly brought trouble upon us for no reason when we do know full well why it is happening. So let's dive into some tough topics and think about this concretely. I mean, are are things bad at home? Do you act like that's because people just change over time and you don't know how to get on anymore? But do you know, but do you know that you are unjustly not spending time that you should with your family, instead privileging all the other things of life? Are you then denying your actions have actually created the very tensions you pretend are driving you away? I mean, in in any case, what part of your trouble might you be pretending is someone else's fault? What do you claim is due or because of someone else's shortcomings? Are you, are you jealous of the praise that others get and so despise and badmouth them? Are you bitter because you feel like you don't get the treatment you should from your friends or even from your church? There could be reasons for all this. 
like undoubtedly David's illness was brought about because of germs and bacteria. Natural causes don't mean that your sin is not also a cause if you have leaped into sinful situations that brought about those natural reasons. David shows us to to rush to repent of our sin rather than point to other people's wrong. Verse 14. I've become like a man who does not hear and note and in whose mouth are no rebukes. David's friends had become enemies, but but sin, who were genuinely wronging him and sinning against him. But since David knew his sin had caused this, he wasn't going to rebuke them. So two weeks ago, uh, I applied our text by saying you should lead with repentance. Namely that when people wrong you, don't address their in everyday sort of ways. When people wrong you, don't address their sin until you're willing to admit yours to them first. And we see that David exercised this same principle. That is not to say, that is not to say, never say anything to those who wrong you just because you may have sinned against them. The point is, That when you go to them, you also go repentantly. The response, the response should be to our sin should be clarity about when we sin and when our difficulties are due to our own sin. That brings to our final point, the restoration. Okay, so we, we saw David's exam recognizing his sin. And that it has consequences. And that our response should be to emulate him in that. And now we need to think about how we put this pattern into practice. So, I want just to take the deep dive into the mire of repenting. So for the man or woman committing adultery against your spouse, whether physically, emotionally, or digitally, you do not get to say that the wreck of your marriage is because you did not get what you need from your relationship. For the person who nags incessantly or the person who is distant, you do not get to say that it was because other people failed you. For the children who refuse to obey your parents, you do not get to say it is because of your struggle at school or with your friends or whatever. For those who wrong their friends, you do not get to say it was because you're struggling to get what you need from the world. The only thing that we should know we get to say is like David. I sinned, I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. 
I'm wrong and I deserve all of God's arrows right into my heart and even worse. That is all that we have the right to say. We have to learn to run right into the full reality that wherever in the spectrum of heinous we are, we are heinous. And then, like David in verse 21 and 22, we cry out, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. We call to God for mercy, not as though we deserve it or can force his hand into alleviating our situation, but because we know that we must fling ourselves into his grace. We do not point fingers at God when he does not remove the earthly consequences of our sin, but we, as verse 6 Utterly bow down and prostrate ourselves all the day we go about mourning. We don't repent to get out of trouble, but because we know how heinous our rebellion against God's law is. And that that rebellion often hurts others. And we long for restored relationship with God. We have to realize, we have to realize that when we repent and cry out to God not to forsake us, that there is only one reason why God can accept us. If you're not a Christian, then you have to know, I mean, this is really important, then you have to know that no matter how bad you might feel about whatever you've done, It is not those feelings that cause God to accept you. Indeed, if you are not a Christian, then you are forsaken and God will discard you for eternity. There is, thankfully, another option, though. We must all, every single one of us, cry out to God to accept us not to forsake us because of Christ. Our repentance itself, as much as I have harped that we need to do it, our repentance itself does not save us. Jesus Christ saves us. God sent His Son, Jesus, into this world that He might die in human nature, to pay for all of those crimes for which we must repent. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took our sin upon Himself so that we might be credited as righteous. He cried on the cross as he died undeservingly. 
because of your law breaking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we ask, why was Jesus Christ forsaken? And yet we can cry out to God not to forsake us. Because Jesus Christ was forsaken for your sake. He endured God's wrath so that God might give you grace. If you are not a Christian, you should right now, this very moment, flee to Jesus Christ to trust him for forgiveness. If you are a Christian, you should stand confident in knowing That when we cry to God for mercy as we learn to hate our sin, God has made a promise to forgive you. We can depend, not presumptuously, but in faith upon God's grace because He crucified His own Son to give that grace to us. Our sin cost God the life of His Son But God willed to give His Son for us so that He might give us restoration as we cling to Jesus by faith. And let's go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we don't like exploring the depth of our sin or even considering that the things that afflict us in this life, the miseries we endure might indeed be because of things we have done. It's not a pleasant message, and it's not a mess, it's not a, a principle that applies in every aspect, but we do know, we see in this text and throughout scripture that there are times that consequences of affliction come upon us because of our sin, and in that moment, when we see that, we should cry out, we repent. Forgive our iniquities. God, do not forsake us, but forgive us and be our help in time of need. And so we pray that as we consider repentance that we might reflect more deeply on what it means to be open and honest, to have clarity about when we sin and when you are disciplining us because of our sin and to rush to repent, not because repentance saves us, but because we hate our sin and we pray you would work that deep hatred for sin within us and that you would stir up a longing to be free from it and to be full of righteousness for your glory and even for our benefit. And so we pray that we would see Christ today in his abundant forgiveness and grace. And that knowing that that is there for us to receive by faith, we would be free to run to him and run away from our sin. We do pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.